Welcome to Musar for Sar Shalom and the Lapid Nation. I am Batya Gage. I'm so glad you have joined us today as we all get together and work on perfecting our character, our Midot. I don't know about you, but I am pretty much ready for this month of Av to just be over and done and start a new month. Uh, may Hashem bring us brighter days in the month of Elul. I have heard from so many people in the last few weeks that are just struggling. It seems like this year, this month has just really taken a toll on them, on people, on relationships, marriages, finances, and we're just, we're uh, struggling a bit. But we can't let the things of the world beat us down. We cannot stop. We can't retreat. You know, if you're running a marathon, not that I ever have, but I've heard if you're running a marathon and you feel like you can't take one more step, you don't drop out of the race. Maybe you slow down and walk for a few miles and then you get back up to pace, but you keep moving forward. And that's, that's what we have to do. And Musar is really good uh, in a time like this. Uh, Musar is a lot about self-discipline and uh, self-discipline is what we need to to persevere and move forward and keep going as we begin this month of Elul this coming Friday Thursday evening let's take advantage of this time to uh, just first of all enjoy being with the king in the field and then if we've slacked off if you slacked off use this time to recommit Perhaps you've never really started your Musar practice. What a great time. Maybe you never have really done serious teshuva. Go back during these, uh, this time of Elul and go back to the first of the summer when we did a study on teshuva and do that study. Um, just recommit. Let's get ourselves into spiritual shape. I've heard and it's I've found it to be true that especially before the fall holy days the Yetzer Hara will rev up. So we need to be in good spiritual shape to overcome the Yetzer Hara. So let's take advantage of this month of Elul and uh, take our eyes off of the world around us and look up and run to our king in the field. As uh, we've been studying lately on the attribute of piety, piety is kind of all about going beyond, going beyond the bare minimum. Uh, last week we started our study of piety, and we'll be on it for at least uh, this week and next week. And uh, Rump Call begins in chapter 18 by saying that a lot of people think they know what piety is. They think about this long list of rigid rules and and strange things that people go through but he says that's really not it at all it's really a very profound and difficult thing to grasp and often is only attained by uh, by the truly wise he began with a statement from the sages from barakot 17a praiseworthy is the man whose labor is in torah and who pleases his creator and in piety that last part of that is what we really focus on pleasing our creator one who has the attribute of piety is already doing all the mitzvot, doing them to their proper, uh, all their 
instructions and requirements, um, but it goes beyond that. And he gives us the example of a son who dearly loves his father. He doesn't wait for his father to tell him what to do. He seeks out things that his father would please his father, and he does them before his, before his father can even ask. He said this should hold true, the same for us that love our Creator. Uh, I mentioned before a statement that I keep in the forefront of my mind. When Why do we ask, what is the least I have to do, when we should be asking, what else can I do for you, Hashem? Um, piety does involve the comprehensive performance of all the mitzvot, but it goes beyond that. It's kind of like abstinence. Abstinence is voluntary uh, restraining from things that are permitted, and piety is doing things that are not specifically required. Um, in chapter um, 19, Romkal discusses some elements of piety. The first element he deals with is relationships. The first element of piety is relationships. Our relationship with Hashem and our relationship with each other. He quotes Perkeia vote 6-6 to share the burden of his fellow. Uh, we certainly should prevent bodily harm to our fellow, but we should also provide financial assistance or whatever we can do to help that person. And spiritually, we should try to do whatever we can to please that person and to bring happiness to someone. In Perkei Avot 1-2, uh, Shimon the Righteous said, the world stands on three things. And we talked about how these are actually the names of our conversion classes. Torah, Avodah, and Chesed. Or Torah, service of Hashem and acts of kindness. And Ramchal says that Chesed, which is the acts of kindness, are fundamental to a pious person. Then uh, Rabbi Simlai in Sota 14a says, the Torah begins and ends with chesed. And Rabbi Elazar said in Sukkah 49b that uh, chesed is greater than charity because charity is only accomplished with one's money, but chesed can be done with our time, our hands, and our money. While chesed is only for the, I mean, while uh, charity is only for the poor, chesed is for everyone. And while uh, charity is only for the living, chesed is for the living and the dead. So it's considered greater than charity. Then we, if you remember, we looked at some words of Yeshua in Matthew 25, where he talks about a future time where he's gonna, the Son of Man is going to come and divide the uh, sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And we looked at what was the criteria for being in one group or the other. And Yeshua speaks some words that were acts of kindness. Then Ramkal looked at the concept of measure for measure. Uh, Midah Keneged Midah. Shabbos 151b says that he may grant you mercy and be merciful to you. That's from Devarim 13.18. Means that heaven is merciful to all those who have mercy on their fellow. He who gives, who gives chesed will receive chesed in return. The more he gives, the more he gets. Then we looked at the teaching of Yeshua on, on the concept of measure for measure. And it's all through uh, the Bible. In Luke 6, Matthew 5, and 6. And specifically in Matthew 5, we looked at, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
And in Matthew 6, for if you give if you forgive others, you will be forgiven. Then Roncal wraps up this first element of piety with this statement. Compassion and benevolence must be permanently ingrained in the heart of the pious. And one's objective should be always to please his fellow creature and not to cause them any suffering. So we continue on page 121 this week, continuing in the same chapter, chapter 19, with the second component of piety, which Romkal says concerns application, applying piety to our lives. And he says it incorporates two principles, which he's going to go into some detail about. And those are fear of Hashem, and love of Hashem, the two pillars of true divine avodah, true divine service. These are the two things that will get us through anything. It will get us through this year, this whatever the latest crisis is, these two things will get us through. If you're waning, if you're fading, if you feel tired, overcome, overwhelmed, these are the two things to renew and refresh in your life. Fear of Hashem and love of Hashem. So he looks at fear of Hashem first. And fear of Hashem includes submitting to Hashem in all his ways, but it also includes being in awe of his wonder and greatness and exaltedness. No matter what we're doing, if we're praying, if we're doing a mitzvah, or we're just going about our daily lives, we have to keep in mind that we are actually doing everything we do standing in the presence of the King of Kings. Barachot 28b says, And when you pray, know before whom you are praying. Sometimes we just get where we go through the prayers and we forget that we are speaking to the Creator of the universe. Romkal says that there are three things to keep in mind. The first one is that we are literally standing before the Creator. And this can be hard when we think, how would the Creator even take note of me, much less stop and listen to my prayers? But nonetheless, this needs to be forefront in our minds, especially when we're praying or doing mitzvot or pretty much anything. The second one is to meditate on the exaltedness, the greatness of Hashem. Um, he says, how exalted and lofty beyond all blessings and praise and all forms of perfection that could possibly be imagined and contemplated. I love those words. I think there's a song in there somewhere, Hillel. The third thing that we always need to keep in mind is the humble nature of man in his humanness, uh, in his baseness that comes out of our just being a physical human being and from all the sins that we have committed as being a part of this physical being. Um, it should not be possible for us to not fear and tremble before Hashem. Uh, if we mention his name, we should be trembling. If we're considering his greatness and his perfectness, we should be trembling. Tehillim 2.11 says, Serve Hashem through fear and rejoice through trembling. You may remember Rav Scholl's words in Philippians, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the angels, being much closer to Hashem on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they find it very easy to, to be in awe of Hashem. But here on earth, we get stuck in the muck and 
we sometimes forget and it's harder for us. We have to work a lot harder at keeping awe of Hashem before us all the time. Tehillim 33.8 says, Let all the earth fear Hashem. Let all the inhabitants stand in awe of Him. The first aspect of fear of Hashem is honor. We're going to look at this in some detail. One way to honor Hashem is through, of course, the mitzvot. But even more than just the mitzvot, it's through embellishing and beautifying, elevating the mitzvot. The sages teach in Shabbos 133b, This is my God, and I will adorn him. Shemot 15.2, adorn yourselves before him with mitzvot, with beautiful tzitzit, beautiful tefillin, beautiful Torah scroll, a beautiful lulav. They also say in Bhavakama 9b, expend up to one-third extra for the embellishment of a mitzvah. Um, the sages teach us that merely performing a mitzvah to its minimum requirements is not satisfactory and certainly not satisfactory for someone trying to achieve the attribute of piety. Rather, mitzvot should be honored and embellished. One who constantly asks, what is the minimum I have to do, will probably also say, why does Hashem need honor? He's, he's beyond all that. But Hashem is referred to as the God of glory uh, in Tehillim 29. And our duty is to honor him through our mitzvot and through doing more than is required. The prophet Malachi 1.8 asks this question. If you presented a blind animal as a sacrifice and you offered it to your king, your ruler, your human ruler, would he accept it? Um, would it honor him? Um, and so the implied question is, is if it wouldn't honor your human ruler, why would you bring it to the king of kings? We have a familiar story uh, in the story of Cain and Abel. Of course, Abel brought an offering from the first fruits of his flock. And it says in Bereshit Rabbah 22.5 that Cain only brought from the chaff of his produce. And we know the outcome of that story in Bereshit 4.4. And Hashem showed regard to Abel and his offering, but to Cain and his offering, he showed no regard. In Malachi 1.14, it says, Cursed is the deceiver who has in his flock a choice male, but he pledges and sacrifices a blemished animal, and he continues, For I am the great king. That's Hashem speaking. And because he is the great king, it is befitting to, to bring the best that we have to him. Now Ram Kal is going to give us some examples. He first of all starts with uh, an example, one example of, of uh, denigrating or downplaying a mitzvot. Uh, from Megillah 32a, holding a scroll disrespectfully while it's uncovered or, or, or in an unclean place. But then he goes on to give us a few examples of ways to Im that uh, people have embellished it. Mishnah Bikarim 3.3, <clears throat> it says that the ox carrying the Bikarim offering walked along with its horns gilded in gold and with an olive wreath on its head. Not required, but to embellish the mitzvot. 
In Mishnah Bikarim 3.8, it says the wealthy would bring their Bikarim in baskets gilded in gold. In Shabbos 10a, it says that Rava would put on expensive socks before praying because he had read in Amos 4.12, prepare yourself before your God, O Israel. So he set aside these special socks just to wear on Shabbat. In Bereshit Rabbah 65.16, it talks about how Esau put on clean clothes to serve his earthly father. So Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said, how much more then should this apply to the king of kings? We should stand in prayer dressed in clothes of honor. In Shabbos 1.19, Rabbi Abahu would sit on a stool of ivory to uh, get the fire ready for Shabbat. And in Shabbos 119a, Rav Anan would wear beautiful, his best beautiful garments on Shabbat. Our very own rabbi has spoken about this many times, not to come to shul in shorts and flip-flops, but to dress as if becoming, as, as if coming before Hashem on Shabbat, because we are. I know he has shoes that he set aside just to wear on Shabbat. Maybe you have dishes that you only bring out on Shabbat. Or maybe you uh, go and go all out in decorating your sukkah. It's just the most beautiful sukkah around. Or there are many ways. There are many ways, creative ways to embellish all of the mitzvot, to show honor to Hashem. Think about it for those of you that are married. Um, you look for ways to please your spouse. You don't wait for him or her to say, hey, can you do this for me or that? But you look, you go out of your way to look for ways to please them. Barakot 17a says, a person should always be astute when fearing his shim. And Romkal expounds on that by saying that we must be knowledgeable and be able to infer from what we learn what pleases Hashem. And, and then we can please Hashem through many different ways. I heard a radio preacher one time describe it this way. Extravagant worship. Nothing is too much for Hashem. Everything connected to our service of Hashem should be treated with honor, with the greatest of honor. His words especially should be treated with honor. And I would personally add the container of his words should also be treated with great honor. It pains me to see someone, usually a young person, uh, casually toss their Bible on the floor or under a chair or something. Uh, that just really hurts me physically. <coughs> In Barakot 18a, it says something similar. If one were traveling from place to place, he shouldn't put a tourist girl in a sack and place it on the docky and ride atop it. He says, put it in your lap and carry it. Um, now, I know a lot of you and even Rabbi write in your Bibles, but my personal embellishment of honoring the words of Hashem is I can't bring myself to write in my actual Bible. Um, recently, I wanted to do an in-depth study of a particular book, and so I actually printed out a three-ring copy of that book with a wide margin so I could write in the margin, and I considered that okay, but in my bound Bibles, I'm not saying you need to do that, but that is one way that I personally uh, embellish. Um, 
Then there's the question of, what do you do with old Bibles? If you're like me, I've been collecting Bibles since I was about seven years old when I got my first one. And I'm like, what do I do with these? Uh, sometimes they wear out or they're a, they're a translation you no longer choose to read. What do you do with them? Um, you can't just throw them in the trash. So maybe that'd be a good question for uh, ask the rabbi. Sorry, rabbi. Um, but Ram Kal goes even far, further and he says, we shouldn't even study the Torah in an unclean place certainly like a bathroom or something. Then he says, Romkal says that included in this is honor given even to those who study Torah. Pirkei Avot 4.6 says, whoever honors the Torah is himself honored by others. The sages say in Sanhedrin 102b, Rabbi Yochanan said, why was Ahav privileged to reign for 22 years? Ahav. Because he honored the Torah. In Vaikra 19, it says, You shall stand before the venerable and give respect to a sage. From this, we can deduce that honor might be accorded to Torah teachers and that this would please Hashem. The sages teach in Ketubot 103b, And one who honors those who fear Hashem refers to Jehoshaphat, the king of Yehudah, Whenever he saw a Torah scholar, he would rise from his throne, embrace him, kiss him, and, said, and say to him, Oh, my dear Rebbe. I'm not sure Rabbi would let us do that to him, but uh, certainly showing honor to those who we learn Torah from. Romkal includes in his instructions, Respect for the Bet Knesset and the Beit Midrash. And these are the synagogues and houses of study. He says we need to conduct ourselves with great respect and honor when we're in these places. And anything that we wouldn't do in the palace of a great king, we should not do in these places either. Then he clarifies uh, for us, um, oh, and I wanted to say that uh, out of all of this, you can begin to think of your own ways, your own creative ways, as you study and you say, Hashem requires me to do this. But then if he requires me to do this, then he will, he will be pleased if I go farther, if I embellish, if I um, you know, show great honor to his word, to his scholars. Uh, find your own ways to be creative. Romkal tells us and clarifies that us regarding fear of Hashem and awe of Hashem that it is not the fear of punishment. This is not the kind of fear he's referring to here. Fear of punishment does not evoke the same kind of emotion that we're talking about when we're talking about honoring a great king, honoring the creator of the universe and in looking for ways to go beyond and to please him. Fear, that's, uh, fear of punishment will not bring us to want to do that. Okay. Now, Ramkal turns to the other part, which is love of Hashem. He begins this way. Love of Hashem means that a person longs for, craves to be near Hashem. 
He pursues his holiness as one pursues something that he strongly desires. The mere mention of Hashem's name, the uttering of his praise, and one's involvement with the words of Torah and his divine nature will bring pure delight and enjoyment. He compares it to one who deeply loves his wife or his husband. Yermiyahu uh, 31.19 says, For when I speak about him, I remember him enduringly. If we truly love Hashem, we, we never forget to do His service. We don't need encouragement to do the right thing, to serve Him. Our heart just leads us to not only do what we need to do, but to, to ask, what else can I do? Uh, David Hamelik described in Tehillim 42, and we've read this before, as a deer longs for the brooks of water, so my soul yearns for you. Uh, Psalm uh, Tehillim 63, 7 says, I remember you when I'm on my bed, my couch. In the night I meditate upon you. And Psalm 119.47 says, I will delight in your mitzvot, which I love. And this love for Hashem, this kind of love that we're talking about, is not conditioned because He gives us things or does things for us. It's more like if you have a child, you don't love that child because he or she does things for you. Sometimes they may not even necessarily love you in return, but you love them just because they are your child. And Rome Call says that the test of your love comes during the time of, of distress and suffering. And the sages say in Barakot 54a, you shall love Hashem your God with your whole heart and with your entire being, even if he takes your life. And with all your might means with all of your monetary possessions. Now immediately this brings to my mind a story from Daniel of Daniel's friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who said, if it, and they're standing about to be killed. If it be so, our God, whom we, uh, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O great King. But even if He doesn't, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image you have set up. What great love for Hashem they must have been feeling and exhibiting in that moment. They were able to remember something that we need to remember all of the time. From Barakot 60b, everything that proceeds from heaven is for the good. Even suffering and distress. Uh, keep in mind, it's kind of like sometimes you go to the doctor and he causes you pain in order to heal. Sometimes Hashem brings distress and suffering in order to heal us to grow us. Now Ramkal discusses an even higher level of love for Hashem. And he says this is usually reserved for the sages. Um, he said they don't even have to remind themselves that everything from Hashem is for the good because they're not even concerned about themselves. 
Everything they do is for to praise and honor Hashem, nothing else. If distress or trouble comes their way, their hearts just grow stronger and they rejoice in the power of their faith. Just like a, it says, it compares it to a general uh, who's famed for his courage, who goes out and seeks the hardest battles so that he can prove um, uh, his, his uh, loyalty and his courage and his bravery. It reminds me of a verse uh, from the Basora in James 1, 2 through 4. Oh, my brother, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romkal lays out three divisions of love. And we're going to, uh, the first one we're going to look at today, and we'll look at the others next week. Uh, the three divisions are cleaving, devakut, remember that word, joy, and zealousness. Today we'll look at and review devakut, cleaving. Uh, cleaving to Hashem occurs when our heart cleaves to Hashem so completely that we no longer aspire to or are concerned with anything but Him. To the point that we become like Rabbi uh, Hananiah Bendosa from Barakot 51, who was standing and praying. He was so intent on his prayer that he was, he was uh, struck by a poisonous snake. He didn't even move. And later his disciples asked him, Rabbi, why didn't, didn't you feel it? And he said, really, I was so concentrating on my prayers, I felt nothing. That's cleaving. Devarim 2020, the, the Torah instructs us to cleave to Hashem. It says, love the Lord your God and cleave to Him. Now, uh, Rabbi uh, Shem ben Lakish in Bereshit Rabbah 87 says that the Holy One showed love for, for Israel through three expressions of love kind of the same way that we are to love Hashem, and that's through cleaving, longing, and desire. And, you know, if you want to know how to get through these tough times, or anything you're going through, this is the answer. Hashem gives us the answer. And uh, over and over, Devarim 4.4, cleave unto the Lord, you that cleave unto the Lord your God are all alive today. Devarim 10.20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall cleave. Devarim 11.22 If you diligently keep the commandments and cleave to him. And Devarim 30.20 Love Hashem your God and cleave to him. And Devarim 13.5 You shall cleave to him. If you want to get through these tough times, Cling to Hashem with everything you have. Until, Ramkal says, until we can no longer be apart from Him. We are so attached and so clinging to Him. We can't, uh, we can't move away. We can't stand to be apart from Him. 
Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, who described the three expressions of love, says this, cleaving to and longing and desiring our beloved until we are so preoccupied with all matters pertaining only to our beloved. Take your eyes off the world and cling to Hashem. That will get us through. Okay, that covers our study of fear and the first part of of the study of love of Hashem. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the other two aspects, joy and zealousness. So let's just quickly review. We began today with the second component of piety, which uh, Ram called divided into two parts, fear of Hashem and love of Hashem. Fear of Hashem includes uh, submitting to Hashem in all of his requirements, but also in the feelings of awe when we uh, realize his greatness, his exaltedness. Uh, Barakot 28b says, when you pray, know before whom you are praying. Ramkal told us to remember always three things. We are literally standing before the creator of the universe. Meditating on his exaltedness and remembering our humbleness, our sinfulness. The first aspect of fear of Hashem that we looked at was honor. How to honor Hashem. And one way is through mitzvot and embellishing the mitzvot. We looked at many ways of doing that, how we dress, how we treat scholars, how we treat the Torah, a Bible, even how we enter into the synagogue. We, we looked at and thought about if you're married, you're always looking for ways to make your spouse happy. Barakot 17a says, a person should always be astute when fearing Hashem. And Romkal continues that we must be knowledgeable and able to deduce or infer from what we read and study other ways that we can please Hashem. The sages teach in Ketubot 103b, uh, one who honors those who fear Hashem was referring to Yehoshaphat, who would, when he would see a great Torah scholar, would get off of his throne, go down and embrace the Torah scholar, and, and cry out, my dear Rebbe. And certainly you can, hopefully this will uh, spark your creativity to think of ways that you can embellish your Shabbat table, or or uh, how you enter in the synagogue, or how you decorate your Sukkot this fall, your Sukkot. Ramkal says anyone who wishes to please Hashem should walk in his path and learn to devise ways for doing what is right before him. And he clarifies that true fear of Hashem is not fear of punishment. Fear of punishment is not what will uh, spark our heart to go beyond and want to do more. Um, rather, it's that sense of awe of Hashem. And um, then he turned to love of Hashem. And he began that love of Hashem means that a person longs for, craves the nearness of Hashem. He pursues his holiness as one who pursues something he strongly wants. The mere mention of his name, the, the just uttering praises to him, uh, being involved with his words, all just bring us to a sense of love and awe. He says it's kind of like 
someone who truly deeply loves his wife. If we truly love Hashem, we don't forget to do his mitzvot. We don't need encouragement to do the mitzvot. In fact, we're looking for ways to do more than the mitzvot. Our heart will lead us to want to do more. And a love of Hashem is not conditioned on what he does for us or what he gives for us, but it's, it's just simple, pure love for who he is, like a parent for a child. Then Ramkal laid out three divisions of love. One which we looked at today was cleaving. Next week we'll look at joy and zealousness. And we looked at cleaving. Cleaving occurs when our heart desires, cleaves to his ship so completely that we no longer aspire to or concerned with anything but him. We cleave unto him until we can no longer be apart from him. As Rabbi says, Ain o milvado. Then Rabbi Lakish described three expressions of love. Cleaving, longing, and desire. Uh, cleaving to and longing and desiring our beloved until we are so preoccupied with our beloved that that's all we think about. Okay, well, that covers our, our study this week. Um, next week, we'll come back and uh, look at the rest of love that Rumcall talks about joy and zealousness. Okay, as we enter into this month of Elul on Friday, let's get ourselves into shape spiritually. Let's be prepared for the onslaught of the revved up Yetzer Hara. Let's be ready. And as we enter this 40-day period of preparation for Yom Kippur, um, let's say a hearty good riddance to Av. Um, May Elul be a better month for all of us as we walk with the king in the field. If you want to, please click like, share this video with someone, but be sure, most of all, to come back next week and let's finish our study of the love of Hashem. Have a great week as you enter into this month of Elul, and uh, I will see you next week.